Ag State of Mind, episode 96. Welcome to Ag State of Mind, a podcast that examines the stresses affecting producers of agriculture and how to alleviate these stresses and improve farmers' lives. In this podcast, we discuss openly the mental health crisis that is occurring in the agricultural community and what we can do to help turn it around. Now here's your host, Jason Meadows. This episode of the Ag State of Mind podcast, a proud member of the Global Ag Network. I am your host, Jason Meadows. Today, we are changing it up just a bit. We are going into the world of equestrian, and we are talking to Sarah Yarger. Sarah came to me from my good friend, Forrest Rackham, who had mentioned seeing some of Sarah's work on his alma mater's LinkedIn. They're both uh, alumni of Bowling Green State University. Uh, we spoke to her about her work with Magna Halter and how it helps those with physical limitations who still want to be involved with horses. Uh, after that, we chatted a little bit about 4-H and its an impact that it's had on each of us and you know, kind of what county fairs mean to us. And we talk a little bit about those. So really interesting conversation with Sarah. Sarah is, uh, I think, says some really great things ahead of her. She's doing some great work and some really important things. And for anyone who knows me and has followed me on the podcast, I've talked about this a few times. Horses are my first love. Uh, I I have always loved horses. My family has a deep deep history in horses. Um, so anytime I get to talk to someone about horses, uh, it's I, I feel like it's a bonus for me. So really hope you guys enjoy this. I really enjoy talking to Sarah. And again, I really look for some really great things coming to, from her. All right, Sarah Yarger, welcome to the Ag State of Mind podcast. How are you this afternoon, evening, whatever it is? Doing really well. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this is uh, this is really cool because we were actually connected by someone who is my friend, who is a fellow alumnus of Bowling Green, like you are, and he he had saw something that you had been doing. You won something through uh, I, through your. He saw you on LinkedIn, I think, is what it was. And we'll talk about kind of what you're doing a little bit later. But he kind of connected us. And I'm very thankful because he has been one of, it's Forrest Rackham. He's been one of my greatest supporters with this podcast, behind the scenes, someone who does a lot of work with rural mental health, uh, rural health in general. And I'm very glad that he had the forethought mm -hmm. to connect us because we've had some just off off recording had some great conversations. Yeah, it was very interesting. I was so I was kind of curious. I was getting I got his email and then I had gotten another one who was also a fellow alumni. Bowling Green State University had posted an article that was written about a month or two ago about Magna Halter, which is uh, the project that I had been working on. So Bowling Green State University does a program called The Hatch through its College of Business. And it's kind of like Shark Tank, but mm -hmm. the only people who can apply for it are BGSU students, and now they've opened it up to BGSU alumni. And they ask a group of investors who are also BG alumni for funding to pursue ideas, whether it be a product or a business idea. 
and then they do a really big event that's held at campus where they invite all the people and you can show off your product, what you've been working on, because we've worked on these projects from, oh, I'm going to say October till April. And it was a whole other class. So we spent all this time working on it. And I had a really hard time working on it because I was also student teaching. So I was pretty much working as a full-time teacher, as a student teacher. I have all my classes, licensure tests I have to do, and then adding this on top of it. But it was all worth it. I was working 70, 80 hours a week easily for um, months. That's, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, just... But, but as we'll talk about later, I feel like it's really paying off for you. So kind of give us your background into, I mean, we're, we'll, we'll get to what your actual project, which is Magna Halter later, but kind of give us your, your mm -hmm. background and, you know, why you kind of fell in love with what you do. So to take it all the way back, my mom swears that I was just born loving horses. I was just one of those kids who just always wanted to be around them, wanted to be in the horse barns. I had 17 Barbie horses at one point as a child. <laughs> and it was just something I loved. And I just kept wanting to do more with them. And then I was finally able to be involved. I was so fortunate to lease a horse from a wonderful woman who I spent a lot of time with. Me and him were best friends for a long time. And her and I are best friends, very good friends as well. And through working with him and then working with the people who owned the barn he lived at, I gained a lot of knowledge just from experienced horse people, how to do just those little things. And then getting to take care of all the horses on my own, a very wonderful opportunity I had. So that just cultivated that interest. And then I did horses with my horse. I did 4-H. I meant, whew. And working with kids in our 4-H club as I was one of the older members and then that really sparked my interest in working with children that was something I found that I was good at and it's something I really enjoyed which then led me to pursue my career into teaching so I really felt my strengths was there and then we were presented with an opportunity to help people with disabilities through a class project and I just really liked that I've worked with a lot of people with disabilities. It's something that's been part of me for a long time. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to help people when I felt that was the population I could help the most. I've worked with kids that can't that have difficulties reading. I worked with kids with autism. And that was just where I felt I was strong in and just kept going with it. Oh, yeah. I mean, obviously, there's it takes a special person to do those things. It takes a special level of patience and, uh, you know, it, it's a, it's a calling more than it is a career, I think. And I, I applaud anyone who takes that because it's not easy. Mm -hmm. There have been many, many long days. I've been told that I'm almost patient to a fault <laughs> just because it's like, okay, because you just can't react. It's, you have to really take a step back and say, okay, and evaluate the behavior. Why is the behavior happening? What can I do to help improve it sure. instead of just getting on them all the time? Yeah. I mean, just it's being more understanding and compassionate. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, and I'm finding this out more and more as a parent, uh, you know, I'm a parent of four boys and, you know, there was a, there was a time where it was always, 
reaction versus being proactive mm-hmm. with stuff. You know, you would react with anger or disappointment instead of really trying to understand. And I, I'm slowly learning to try and change that perspective as a parent because it's very mm-hmm. helpful, right? It's very helpful to, to be more understanding why someone is acting the way they are or saying the things they are or um, feeling the way they are mm-hmm. instead of trying to change or correct or quote unquote, correct it. Exactly. Like, especially I work with middle school last year and then this or two years ago, I worked with middle schoolers, and this year I've had high schoolers. So they're completely different mm-hmm. age groups, but they're all going through similar things. They all have a lot of changes in their lives, and sometimes they just don't know how to react to it. So they do something that we would think is not a good choice, or they think, or we think, man, like that's really bad behavior. It's no, they're just so overwhelmed, and they just don't know what to do with it. <laughs> So it's just taking that step, being that, taking that big breath and saying, okay, it's all right. Let's break everything down and then we'll figure out where we can change things. Right. Right. Absolutely. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk about horses um, and then we'll get into your project. I've grown up loving horses. I haven't been, I haven't been as involved with them lately as I would much as I would like to, which seems silly for me to say, because if I like something so much, why wouldn't I just do it? Um, but you know, it's just things happen. But I grew up, my, my, I'm from a family of horse trainers. My sister was a horse trainer. My, my brother is very, was very accomplished equestrian, uh, rode in Western Pleasure in the 80s. Uh, in early 90s. And it's been a really, really big part of my family. My dad was a horse breeder. Uh, so many things that and uh, I owe so much of my life to horses. How like how has it affected you? Like how what, what I mean, that's a really loaded question, I know. But like, talk about the positive effects that horses can have on someone just just by being around them. Yeah, so it's everything. I, if I didn't have horses or wasn't involved, I wouldn't be me at all. I might get a little tearied. <laughs> um, my heart, my heart horse had passed away about two years ago. And then the other horse I was really close with had passed the year after with him, after him. And just, I'm so organized now before I was, had horses. It was like, everything was really up in the air. Like I just didn't really pay attention to what I was doing. I wasn't really detail oriented really shy, just Mm. wouldn't talk to anybody, just didn't want to talk to anybody, didn't have that anxiety, that fear. And then I started working with horses and I was kind of like, okay. But then everything really changed when I had my heart horse. His name was Roy. He pushed my buttons a lot. (laughs) He, but he made me learn boundaries that you have to learn to say, this is okay. This is not okay. And that really helped with relationships because I tended to let people walk all over me. Not so much anymore. Just having that like solid rock in my life. Not that my family is not a solid rock, but horses just hit you different. Just having him around and learning that I could do things, that I had the power to work with an animal that's a thousand pounds heavier than myself and knowing that I can do it and having an animal trust you so heartedly. uh, He wouldn't do a thing unless I told him it was okay. He 
my mom would sometimes come out to the barn and ride with me. And if he didn't feel like something was okay, or if he felt something was off, he would stop and check with me, like, is this okay? Is this safe? And I would let him know, like, it's okay. And then he'd be like, all right. So we would keep moving on. So building that trust with another being, and then it, it gradually turned into making connections that revolved around horses. So his owner and I, she did art and I loved art. And so we would talk art, talk horses. The barn owner, eventually because I had worked so much in the barn, she had given me the trust that I could take care of the whole place on my own when I was 16 years old. Who trusts <laughs> 12, 14 horses, their whole house, their whole property to a 16 year old <laughs> and to make sure everything was okay. And through her, I had to learn, like, you have to clean the stalls at this time. You need to feed at this time. You need to do everything just, they're very, they were very particular in how they wanted things, but that you have to be when you have that many horses and you're doing it on your own. So you have to be organized. You have to be detail oriented. Did, did Scamp get the appropriate amount of her medication that she needs in her evening feed? Paying attention to that. So it's just the little things. So then I had to learn to be more detail oriented. And then I had to really, really work on my work ethic because I mean, when you're 16 and you have 12 stalls to clean, there's a lot more interesting things to do, <laughs> but, but it's like, it needs to get done because if it doesn't get done, it's going to harm the horse right. and that's not healthy for them. Right. So, and also I just, I'm also one of those weird kids that look forward to it. Cause I just was so happy to have that opportunity. Yeah. I wasn't going to waste I wanted to prove myself that I'm worth it, that I earned this and that I can do it. So that, so it was continually going after that. And yeah. then that gradually built into showing and showing really taught me work ethic as well, because, Oh, you want to win. You really have to work hard. You have to seek advice. You have to be willing to take criticism. Uh, yeah, your ride wasn't very good because you had your legs flopping all over the place and your arm was out like a chicken wing. You need to fix it. So it was continually doing that or even um, learning to be disappointed and be okay with it. Um, Roy had made a really bad decision and he went through one of our fences and he really ended up cutting himself pretty bad and he mm -hmm. got burned pretty good on his side and learning that, man, it really stinks I can't compete this weekend but it's taking that extra time going out two times after school to go check his burns, to put on his Corona cream to make sure that it would heal, checking his vetris, putting vetricin on it to make mm -hmm. sure he'd be okay. So just learning to always put something else before yourself and that your priority should not always just be you. It's when you have an animal involved, it's them first. The old Will Rogers saying, you know, never put the cart before the horse. I mean, that's, it's, it's real life. Exactly. And I think having that attitude that this needs to be taken care of first, prioritize your time, prioritize what you're doing. I think that really helped me and kind of guided me in my career, knowing that when I'm working with a student, students first. Yes, this isn't my favorite lesson to teach. Or yes, I struggle with this lesson. But you know what? I have to just suck it up, buttercup, because this is what's best for my student. So it all kind of just relates back to one another. 
yeah, being able to understand that there's something bigger than just yourself. And, you know, we, there's, there's multiple mm -hmm. ways to learn that lesson, but horses are such a great, because it is, I mean, it's, it has to be them first, right. For it to, for it to be at all. I mean, it has to mm -hmm. be them first. So it, it's, it's, I, I think it's one of the best ways to learn those lessons because, for me, I remember, I remember in like being, I remember cleaning stalls as a, as a kid, not even just as a kid, as a young adult, when I was still in, when I started, was in college and coming home uh, during breaks and stuff and, and helping out with that and the solitude that you would find with that. And even though you were shoveling feces and there's something just really oddly rewarding about it. And I've always found any, I've always found that just really peculiar because it is, I mean, the definition of grunt work, but it's, it is, it can be so calming. Oh, I've felt that on more than one occasion. It's there's there, you are so correct. There's just something about spending that time cleaning that it really helps you relax maybe or kind of sink deeper on things that you may not have because you have the time to do it because well, it takes time to clean the stall the right way. And then I don't know how you guys do it, but at the end of our cleaning stalls, we would always use a push broom to push all the shavings back. And there was just something so satisfying. satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Like knowing like the stall is perfect. It's clean. I know the horse is going to mess it up as soon right, as he walks right. in here, but, but then it's kind of funny. Cause then, you know, like all their ticks. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's an incredible, like, you know, it's, it's, it's like I say, it's everything. It's, it's kind of peculiar. It's kind of odd, but it is, it's a very satisfying experience. Mm -hmm. I miss yeah, it. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about, let's talk mm -hmm. about Magna Halter. It's something, you know, when you and I were talking, it's one of those inventions or, or creations, however you, you describe it, that was like, well, yeah, of course we should have something like that. Why didn't we have something like this already? And those, I think, to me, make the best creations because they they are so simple, yet they can be totally just game changers. Absolutely. So that's what a lot of people have said when they've seen it. They'll be like, why didn't I think <laughs> of that? And it's kind of funny because in the first stages of development, it's like this is exactly why no one thought of it because there was a lot of challenges the magnet had to interact a certain way with the clip and then uh, the, it had to counterbalance in some way so it wasn't digging in their face. And we've corrected all of those things, but these are just little things that if you, unless you're an engineer, you wouldn't think of. I'm obviously not an engineer. So how it kind of works, I'll show you one here, is we took that snap that's typically on the side mm -hmm. of the halter and we added a pull tab right here. So this pull tab has extra space on it. So that way people with different grips, whether they use a pincher grip, which is between your thumb and your forefinger, whether you use this or if you need a whole hand, or even if you just have gloves on because it's cold, you can just grab it here and then you pull upward and then it pulls the magnet away. And there's just a magnet that's connected to the halter with a screw. And then we have a brass plate on there and the brass plate has a cover over that helps secure the magnet. So it holds the magnet in its I place. See. So it's not going to yeah, slide yeah, anywhere. Yeah. It'll stay secure. And it slides in and slides out. So it's, 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 it's a fairly simple design 
you know, but it has the, so when Mm -hmm. I was thinking of it in my head and for people who are just listening and not watching, there's almost like a crevice or like a fitting in there. I was thinking it's just two magnets that just stick together and pull apart, but this makes way more Mm -hmm. sense in the fact that it has somewhere to go and be more secure where it's like, there's like a, almost like a coupling there where almost kind of like similar to how I guess like train cars would come together almost like, uh, or, or like, uh, like, um, like a fifth wheel trailer, like a clog. What'd you say? A clog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, I mean, it's, uh, again, it's uh, the way I was thinking, I was like, wow, how does that manage to be, to fit together? But this, you showing me this makes it make a lot more sense. Mm-hmm. Actually, one of the first designs of Magnahalter was two magnets that were stuck together. But that ultimately got vetoed because the horse is too strong. Right. It'll pull right. it right apart. And, right. and people have said, well, why don't you just use a 50-pound magnet? I bought a 50-pound magnet. Do you know how hard those things are to break apart? <laughs> it is ridiculous. And I pinched my finger more than once in that so there's thing. So there's a sweet spot um, then is what you're saying. Yes. So actually the magnet we use, I believe it's a 12 pound magnet. So that means it only needs 12 pounds of force. Now people who are listening may think, well, that's not going to hold them. That's why the bracket is how it is. And that's why it has that crevice because it holds that magnet in its spot. So it's not going to move anywhere. The way it's angled and the depth of that crevice holds the magnet into position. That way it stays. I've lunged horses with it that have reared on me. I've lunged horses that will just run and run and run. And it doesn't move. If you see any of our videos on our Facebook page or on our Instagram, you can see that that piece, this piece right here, it does not budge a bit. But it's still light enough that anybody can use it. Yeah. I mean, so easy. So what about, so what about always what we would have trouble? The biggest trouble is like when you, okay, let me back up here. Is there like a, would you start a horse on a halter? Like when you're halter breaking, uh, like a colt, like a weanling, would you start them with this? Or was this something for probably a more, a a horse that is used to being haltered? So our original thoughts were to use this for people who are paraquestrians. So people with disabilities who are involved with horses. So that way they can halter independently. But the more interest We've gained a lot of interest, though, from people who breed and from trainers to have it for their youngsters because this is so much faster. I mean, you can. Oh, okay. This is on in our time trials we did. It's one and a half times faster than using your traditional closure systems. So we've had a lot of interest in using it with the babies because it's quick. It's not super fast or it's super fast to use. So you can quickly snatch them and yeah. get them before they run right. off. So that way they get used to that feeling on yeah, their that was face. always the biggest. That was always the biggest fight. I remember when we were haltering babies, mm-hmm. you know, when, what, however young they were, is actually getting them in a place to get it on them and being calm and, you know, having a – sometimes we mm-hmm. would have a, have a mare who wasn't – very cooperative either and she didn't like you messing with her baby and you know just whatever there's just so many Mm -hmm. like variables in it but i could see how something like this where you slip it on snap it it's all Mm -hmm. good to go uh how that would be very valuable in that Mm -hmm. situation yes uh compared to a typical halter that would just have a snap um 
there's still there's an area of use there that you can grid it, but this has a greater area of connecting because you have this air, whole area to connect that magnet. So you can get them quick and then just give a quick tug so that way it secures. It's great. It's such a like a it's yeah. Little. It's just such an ingenious thing to come up with, and I just am almost just in awe of you for 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 coming up with it. Because and I and I'm I I know that you have been working tirelessly on this for you know however long so i don't want to discount that but like i and say like oh i'm just seeing the final product and i'm in awe i i commend you for all the work that you've put in and you know ha having to think of the little small things that someone like me would have no idea uh that the all the trial and error and and heartache probably sometimes that came up what did what were like your hardest issues with it hardest problems Oh my, there's, there's, there's been so a lot <laughs> of issues. Well, it's just because it's so different and sometimes it's hard to get people to accept things that are different or accept things that are new. So trying to help people understand that it's safe for your horse. It's not going to hurt them in any way. This is going to be a safe way to halter them. This is going to be an efficient way to halter them. Actually, our, one of our first designs we had, we had the magnet go over the pole. Yeah. And that's what or go over sure, go sure. over there. And we had that design and we were working with a center, a USEF, so United States Equestrian Federation Center of Excellence. They are actually working with para um, para riders mm -hmm. who are aiming to be in the Olympics, Paralympics. We are working with them and they told us uh, we don't like that we have to put our hand over the horse's head to do it because some of our riders are not able to move their shoulders that high. Okay. It's like, that is a good point. And so we took a step back, said, what can we do? And so that's where we came up with this design to put it underneath the throat latch. So that way we can help accommodate that because that is a common thing for all riders that sometimes your horse just likes to be a giraffe. Sure. So it's hard to so get it over or if it, you do have some kind of mobility issue, slip it over their head and then latch underneath, underneath their jaw. Like, correct. Correct. I would do that on this, but his ears don't move. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I wish they did so I could show you how it just slips, but yes, it'll just slip over their head like a typical halter would. And even finding just the right magnet to use, because like I said, you can't use a 50 pound magnet because no one can get it on. No one can take it off. And it's almost a hazard at some points because of how fast it wanted to pinch. Sure. Like, like I said, I've been pinched by it multiple times. This one won't pinch because it's not the same weight. It's not the same material. Mm -hmm. So that way it's not going to hurt you. Right. This goes on very gently, very easily. There's no chance that you'll get pinched by the magnet. The magnet is only 12, 10 or 12 pounds, so that way it makes it easy for people to use. Another issue we had come across was this pull tab. We had a lot of people who, it was actually longer at one point, and we had a lot of people comment say, hey, I don't like how long that is. I'm afraid it's going to interfere with my horse's vision. Mm -hmm. We said, no problem. Let's adjust. So that's, so we've shortened it to where people have been comfortable with it. So we've always been very open to listening to ideas about things that we can do to help improve it. But those were some of the biggest issues that we've had. Where do you see this going forward? Where, what, what's the next step? 
The next step is we are currently working towards being in brick and mortar stores. So being mm -hmm. at local tax shops, being at big tax shops, that's something we're currently working towards doing, which is very exciting because we've been doing direct to customer sales. So you can actually order these on our website. They're always available for purchase. We have multiple sizes to accommodate different varieties of horses, different sized heads. So that's what I would like to do. I also want to make more equipment for people with disabilities just to make horses more accessible with the, sure. there's an increase of people with disabilities working with horses. And right, I would like right. to give them opportunities where they can do things independently as they are able to. So this is continuing working on different projects, working on different pieces of equipment that you can adapt for more users. Sure. sure. Do you ever see anything with any other species besides horses? I mean, yes. being a 4-H dad who has, I have four kids. We have six animals getting ready to go to the fair in a couple of weeks. I do a lot of tying. I do a lot of taking off of halters of not of, of cattle and sheep. So I could see how I would, I would love, and not just me, but my kids and kids and fathers and mothers and 4-H leaders all around how they could benefit from not just horses, but multiple species with this same kind of design. Yes, we actually have plans on adding more species. I actually made a prototype cattle halter, which was pretty interesting. I've never made a cattle halter before, but it turned out pretty cool. I just haven't had a cow to try it out on yet. But we do want to expand to different species because we do know that there's a need. We've seen that there are more kids with disabilities trying to get involved more yeah. with other species. Actually, one of the county fairs in our area, they've that's something they've really been working toward is having mm -hmm. additional people being able to compete who do have disabilities. So involving more populate, more different varied populations of people. And that's great like, because I mean, if we can make, if we can make it to where people who do have disabilities can compete, especially with, with animals like this, why not make it as easy for them and pain-free as possible? Exactly. The more accessible things we have, it benefits wider groups of people and it's not right. only beneficial for people with disabilities but like as you said there's young 4-hers we know that young kids their fine motor skills are not always the best so doing those knots or trying to use buckles mm -hmm. that can be really difficult for them and then just ease i've never worked with cattle i've had friends that have cattle and i know that they can move pretty fast uh, sheep yeah. especially no i know those things can move pretty quick <laughs> and goats yeah yeah well, I could, and I can even like, just as I'm thinking, like, what's my biggest issue with my kids right now? And my biggest issue with, especially my younger kids is teaching them to tie up their animals, not so much haltering them, but tying them up, you know, and learning how to tie a correct slip knot and things like that. And even though that's a really useful skill, I could see how some sort of magnet device would be uh, very helpful in that situation you know I don't I'm not sure how you would do it from a lead rope standpoint but just you know just just thinking out loud here mm -hmm. yeah I trust me we've seen a lot of loose animals at the fair you know how that goes <laughs> actually oh was gosh. you know it was two or three years ago we actually had a cow at our county fair that ended up like king of the poo pile I don't know how we got all the way up there but it was hilarious 
we used to every single year. Now things are pretty good. They have pretty good uh, perimeter fencing and uh, barn fencing now. But like when I, my first year showing cattle at the place where my kids show cattle now, it was my first year was the first year that it's at this, the fairgrounds now. And there was no like fence anywhere. It was and there, I mean, there for several years, there were, was always one cat that got out in the woods and got out on the road. And it was a nightmare. <laughs> I can't believe it. Uh, yeah, our, our, we're also very fortunate. Our, our, uh, our county fairground is actually in uh-huh. town. So there's houses that surround it. And we're very fortunate that there is really good perimeter fencing. But yeah, people, we, we've had issues at our county fair, people letting animals out. On oh, purpose. really? Uh, PETA has not to not to not to uh, not to identify certain groups, but that was a group that had been letting animals out. And they did it um, at your fair. Yeah, our it's been a few years, but that would be something we'd always have to be careful of and watch so that people weren't letting animals out on purpose. What a nightmare! Actually, and or even just little kids that sure. come through. Actually, my husband used to show birds. My husband used to show like really nice birds, and he had a really nice. I think it was a peacock one year and some kid or no it was turkeys some kid just came oh, by never. opened it up and it flew away do you ever get it back no it's no just, just, just living somewhere gone. in the woods now oh my gosh oh he my had gosh. some kind of bird and it it's an unfortunate thing that happens but it's but having additional closures is helpful so that's and we'll we'll, we'll close with this and um you kind of, and I didn't plan on talking about this, but I think we've brought up a good point here because we talk about people who are not familiar with animals being around them and mm-hmm. what the activists or the activists, you can't, that's never probably ever going to change other than we're just going to have to be aware of it. But what kind of like education conversation opportunities come from having a horse, having an animal of some sort in a public place like a fairgrounds, being able to maybe just chat about things like where, how do you value that? I think it's super important, especially because the area I live in, we have a lot of people that are not exposed Mm -hmm. to anything country. We have a lot of people that are not exposed to livestock so they don't always necessarily understand them. I've always said that I need that somebody, if I have to do it, write a letter to the editor about how you need to interact with animals when you're at the fair. As a horse person, um, it, it's always so hard because people will stand right directly behind your horse. And um, it's like, please don't stand behind him. He's not mean, but please don't sure. stand behind him because if he gets scared, he can hurt somebody. Right. And then... Um, I've had friends that have horses that kick. So they tie a red ribbon in their tail. That means I kick, please don't stand behind me. And people will put their little kids strollers right behind them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, please, please don't mm-hmm. do that. Or, and it's great that kids want to pet horses. I'm one of those kids that love to pet sure, horses. Sure. But always being aware that they bite. Right. Some of them right. will bite and to respect the sign. We've had horses in our 4-H barn that bit and we would put signs up that say, I bite, don't touch me. And people are still bringing their kids up, still wanting to pet them and just not understanding livestock diets. Mm-hmm. We've, there's so many times we've had kids try to feed kit, try to feed horses hay off the ground or feed them grass off the ground or feed them straw. 
Um, there's been rare occasions where people would try to feed them like a funnel cake mm. or feed them elephant ears. And it's okay if I can feed my horse that because I know he, what he's allowed sure. to have and I know how much he can have. But it's not okay for you to do it because I don't know where you got it. I don't know what you've soaked it in. And I don't know how much you gave them. Same with like little rabbits. I'm not super familiar, familiar with rabbits. My husband's cousins show them. But you can't be feeding them things off the ground. They can't eat certain things. But just with horses, you just... If you if you want to know stuff, ask us. Exactly. If you want to, yeah, yeah, yep. or don't assume my horse is me. Right. Yeah, and that's <laughs> that's the big take home here. I think is you know there's a there there's a very there's very valuable lessons, and people want to know. People want to know about this stuff, and I'm glad mm -hmm. people want to know. But there is a certain level of protection that you have to have as the owner for for the security of of your animal and not just the security exactly. of them but also sometimes they do things that they could that could harm themselves you know like you say like biting or kicking mm -hmm. or getting stepped on or whatever you know there has to be you know you have to say okay we we can do these things. You can pet my horse. You can look at my horse, but we have these certain boundaries that we have to maintain. And that's hard for people to like, for both sides to understand, like a fine, a good middle place to meet for that. But it's really important, really important. It is. And I found something super interesting. So Roy, who I had taken to the fair multiple years, he had a disease called HYPP, mm -hmm. um, hyperkalemic periodic paralysis. Impressive disease. So yes, <laughs> that's what he had. And I mean, he lived to be 32, 33 oh, with wow. it. Um, yeah. And I mean, he competed until he's 29. So he loved it. But because of the fair environment, because of the stress, which can be a trigger if you are not familiar with the disease, it's there's an imbalance of the sodium and I think it's chloride. It's been so long. Mm -hmm. There's an imbalance in those two that can actually send the horse into like a seizure. Mm -hmm. um, he was well managed. He had medication and he, his diet was restricted. So that way he could be healthy and not have seizures. But because stress can be a factor that can trigger a seizure because it's stress related. And so he always had to have a special sign up at his stall that said what his disease was, explaining what it was. And if you see these signs, if you see his muscles quivering, if you see his eyes rolling back, or if he seems kind of like not a normal horse, please call me immediately. And it would be interesting because people would um, come up to me if they would see me around him or seeing me around the stall and ask about it. And they would say, Oh, I was really concerned. It's like, no, that that's fine. I'm glad that somebody that you're taking time to look, or mm -hmm. it would be funny because I'd be in the other side of the barn and you see people like looking at him, analyzing him. Like, are they, am I seeing these things? It never happened. Thank goodness. But it was nice to know that people and people would ask and they'd want to know more or know more about horses in general. Sure. So I think that kind of opened the door a bit. So it was interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's so many great opportunities to just talk to people about stuff and uh, people are curious and people genuinely want to know stuff, but it's, we have, I believe when we take them into a public setting like that, we do have a duty to 
I, the word educate always sounds so pretentious, but to inform people mm -hmm. and to interact, interact. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, yeah. To interact with people and, and, and help them to understand things, uh, from the, from our side of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I, it, it's just important because a lot of people, they just don't know. Yeah, they don't, they don't. And, um, that's what the fair is for. I mean, if we really want to get down to it, it's for people to have a firsthand experience with livestock or with agriculture of some sort. Um, sometimes mm -hmm. that's even in our little town, we have a town, the town our fair is in is my hometown. It's less than 4,000 people. It's tiny, but still the vast, vast majority of people who come to that fair have zero idea about agriculture, about mm -hmm. livestock, about all the things. And it's a, uh, it's really fun. It can get really fun sometimes to see, like mm -hmm. see the kid. My favorite is to see the kids showing their non-farm friends their animals and talking to them and you know mm -hmm. doing interacting that way that's my favorite thing um i love to talk to people obviously i mean if i didn't love to talk to people i wouldn't have a podcast but but people mm -hmm. but see, being able to see my kids do that and, and interact and learn how to interact so valuable so valuable it is and even interspecies is interesting yeah, too yeah yeah because like i said my husband showed birds I only showed horses and then his family or some of his other family members show pigs and rabbits and his one cousin's taking a cow. But it's funny because they would be, we would be talking and one of my friends and I, we would be joking with him. be like, Oh, how do you do chicken showmanship? You got a little chicken halter for him. Like just messing with him. He's like, no, but you have to do it this way. So I would sit and watch them and, I'm, and it's just so different. Yeah. And him and I would, kind of like gesture about which one is harder. And I said, well, horses is almost a little easier because I am presenting my animal. It's very rare that you'll get asked a question that you have to answer. Very mm -hmm. rare. It's mostly, can you set your horse correctly? Can you follow the pattern correctly? And can you do your showmanship positions how you're supposed to? But with birds, you actually need to know everything about right. these birds, right. like, and about different species of birds. Same with rabbits. Yeah. Those are mostly question based. Right. It's not necessarily animal based. Yeah. So it was so different. Right. And uh, we do showmanship sweepstakes at our fair. So someone who got grand champion in each species then has to show the other species. Oh, interesting. So like people who would take the little horse I took one year, he was one of the horses that came to showmanship. And so he had a cattle person and oh. cattle people, because of just how cows show is you're usually have to pull them. Right. Right. That's just my observations. And we can always tell the cattle people because they would try to pull the horses and it'd be like, okay, when you're showing him, you need to be careful. Don't pull on him. Right. Because he doesn't like that. Right. 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 Yeah. And you just need, you need to position your body so this different. way so that way he moves how you need him to move. It is very, very different. And even pigs, I learned a lot watching his cousins show pigs because the judge has to be a certain spot and you have to be in a certain spot and you have to move the pig this way and you don't want to be all the way on the outside. It's like, I would get really confused. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> watching a, so my kids never did show hogs. Watching the hog show at the fair is like, 
I, I almost can't, it's almost like too much for me because there's so much going on there animals you don't really like so like sheep cattle and then like like a halter or showmanship class with horses you know they're it's pretty controlled it's pretty contained I mean mm -hmm. obviously you're gonna have some runoff every time but like the generality of it is it's pretty contained that is not the case with a hog show I mean it is chaos I mean those those hogs are going around and <laughs> everybody's you know guiding them one way and they don't there's no set thing they're just walking all around and it's it's truly amazing and like to me, that's one of the more impressive things to watch um, from both a showman mm -hmm. standpoint and from the judge's standpoint. Like, how do you like, how do you do that? I mean, it's, 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 it's truly impressive to me. It is. And just learning different things and watching the different, you gain a whole new respect for how they show their animals. Sure. And how, and even, I think that's what makes others, horses are hard. Don't get me right. wrong. But I think that's what almost makes some other species harder because I take the same horse every year. He knows exactly what he's doing. You got a new But calf you have to retrain. Yep. Yep. yep, you got a new calf, a new hog, a new bird. Mm -hmm. Birds, sometimes you can take multiple years. But For the most in part, general, yeah. you have to different every year. You have to retrain. Yeah. Yeah. I never thought of it that I mean, way. I never thought of it that way. But yeah, that's yeah. It's an interesting point. We have to, we start this, pro, you know, our fair, as we're speaking today is in, it starts in two weeks from today mm -hmm. and it'll probably, this will probably be coming out fair week. Just, just because I think that's a, it, this is a good spot to put this out in the world. Um, but this whole process completely starts over again in three weeks, mm -hmm. you know, two weeks is the end. And next year's show season starts as soon as this one's over because we go find our cat, our calves that are, we show our babies mm -hmm. next to their mothers right now. They're about three or four months old, you know, so I'm talking about for steers, mm -hmm. you know, and, you know, so that whole thing starts again, you know, so it's a, it's a really, mm -hmm. um, that's a really interesting difference that I've never really even considered is we're constantly tr new training with, ant with, with with cattle and sheep and hogs. Whereas mm -hmm. most of the time, uh, somebody who's showing horses is showing the same horse. I've never even thought, thought of it that way. And it gets funnier. And this is where 4-H is really cool because not only do you bring the horse, same horse every year, but sometimes that horse comes with a new kid. Yeah, yeah. So once the 4-Hers once the 4-Hers start to age out, the kid sells their horse and it's a little, little kid who's just getting their start in the program because that's the way and who gets are. to show all over again. So when, yeah, I mean the horse, sorry, but when my mom and dad were <laughs> younger and my older siblings were, were younger, they had this one mare and uh, her name was Miss Kitty Pine. And they, he, they would show her, there would be a, it was, you know, one of those shows where everybody, it was a family show, you know, she would show in every single mm -hmm. class all the way from my, from the youngest sister up to my dad showing her and reigning. And, you know, so, I mean, there was a lot of instances like that. So, you know, mm -hmm. that is, it's a really interesting point is multiple owners in different years too. It's, it's mm -hmm. you know, I've never really thought of it that way. It's funny, actually. The horse I took my last year at fair, who wasn't Roy, was a different one. I was this third person he took to fair because <laughs> he did it with girl for a year. And then he did it with um, the previous owner for a long time. 
and then I got to start working with him my last year affair and yeah and we didn't play since I mean this horse was a showmanship machine if you didn't win it was your fault right. and it was exactly my fault because we didn't <laughs> win but because he won with everyone else but it was so funny and then the lady who owned him owned another horse who was on his third person as well uh-huh. and it's so funny because you see that you know the horse and you know exactly who that horse is and you know exactly who's owned him every single yeah. person yeah. before yeah yeah so it's funny to watch them yeah well, very cool. Well, this has been a lot of fun. I want to be respectful of your time, um, but I've, I've really enjoyed this. This is a little, it's a change a little bit, but not honestly, we, we talked about a lot more things that I didn't think we would. Um, so this has been, I say this a lot and I, and I truly mean it every time. This has been my, one of my favorite episodes that I've recorded because um, we get, we talked about some things that are on my mind a lot that I don't usually get to get out there. So thank you for being on the podcast and being so open to talk and share your journey and share your story. Um, it's really valuable. Of course. I really appreciate the opportunity to be on this podcast. It's been great conversing with you and bringing up good memories of full rage and working with kids and getting excited. Our fair doesn't start for another four weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. So it's like getting me in the mood. <laughs> If it's anywhere like our fair, it's, it's, it has, they have to wait and make sure it's the absolute hottest week of the year, because I mean, it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be the fair otherwise. Exactly. And for whatever reason at our fair, I think it's always, it's either English day or Western day is always the day it rains. Yeah. Yeah. It always rains, um, on our cattle show day. Usually when my son is actually in the ring, like the, the storm changes and his steer loses his mind, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, we've done that a time or two, but <laughs> that, that's just what happens. Yeah, that's part but of it's it. been awesome. Thank you so much. Where can people find you online if they want to find out more about you and about Magna Halter? So you can visit us at our website, magnahalter.com. We're also on Facebook, just Magna Halter. That's two words. And then we're also on Instagram with at Magna Halter. So we're pretty easy to find. So feel free to follow us, like us, email us. Sure. Well, we'll connect all that in the show notes. So people will be able to find you pretty easy. Sounds good. All right. Well, Sarah, I really appreciated this. This was a lot of fun tonight. It was. Thank you so much. I just really appreciate it. It's been great talking with you. Thanks for listening to Ag State of Mind. We hope this episode has encouraged you. Be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Ag State of Mind. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Spotify so you never miss an episode. See you next week.